Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Hello everybody, this is John Hindoff at RadioLeMans.com. Thanks for downloading Midweek Motorsport Series 10, episode 34. Now, before you listen to the podcast, just a little bit of a warning. We had an unexpected and unexplained technical issue well beyond our control that means that what you're about to listen to isn't in crystal clear quality. It went out live fine, but something on the recording has corrupted the master file. Now, normally we wouldn't put this up, but so many of you want to hear it that we've decided that we will put it up as a podcast. But just so you know, it's not our usual high-quality recording. Apologies for that, but I hope you'll enjoy it just the same. The world's longest-running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to a very special edition of Midweek Motorsport. I'm Judd Heidoff looking out on, well actually not very much if I'm honest because it's got very dark here at the circuit of Catalonia where we're getting set up for the Barcelona 24 hours. <laughs> ah yes, I see what's coming uh, At the weekend, Friday, Saturday and Sunday uh, We'll have full live coverage for you in sound and vision uh, And I've got Joe Bradley with me here, we'll speak to you in a moment But first of all, uh, let's say good evening up and across in London To our executive producer, Tim Gray Good evening, Tim Good evening, John and in a packed programme tonight, we have what? We have all the usual features. Excellent. Um, the uh, I want to go through a few of the apologies for absence tonight. Andrew H has tweeted at Specutainment, which of course is how you get in touch with us, at Specutainment or at Radio Le Mans. Uh, adults only evening at a local Lego store. I'm actually Ooh. a bit scared about that. He says, uh, we'll aim to There's make at least... wrong with that. We'll aim to make at least He's one... He's obviously an a like me. Right. He says, we'll aim to make at least one groundbreakingly awesome race car. Sounds good. No apologies for absence from Chris Suku. Um, uh, no idea what dinner has in store, he says. Let us know, please. Paul Marker, very disappointed... Full-on apologies for absence. He thought he was only going to miss the first 15 minutes, but now uh, a real meeting, a full meeting, scheduled for the first hour of the of the uh, of the sl- of the show. Uh, lightweight auto compasses in Wales is keeping uh, Alexander Orkin away. Uh, and Mark, uh, the fabulously entitled at ruptured duck, last week. Uh, was on his way to County Durham to pick up a racing car. And what he has picked up 
is a swift FB91, and he's going to be Joe getting be a with that. Bernard Baxter engine for it too. He's going to go hill climbing. It's Gersten in 2016. Joe Bradley, uh, an FB91 Swift. Is that a bit? Is that a bit after your time? A 91, yes and no. Right. Um, certainly, my time driving, yes. Would certainly not been around Formula Ford. No. A good car. What is, uh, he, is he keeping the 1600 in? I wonder. A Bernard uh, Bernard Baxter, he said. Sheer uh, Adam is uh, is listening, and the answer to your question is yes. You should. Um, <laughs> but that's all I'm going to say about that. Jack Solowski says, uh, can't make the first half of the show. Exam starting at 8 o'clock UK time. Oh dear. We did have somebody as well the uh, who said that they were picking up a date tonight at half past seven. So obviously they'd be back for the second half of the show. <laughs> and I did say, I hope not. Uh, 45 minute journey is it yeah <laughs> can't think of a better way to spend a first date listening to us yes uh, well you're going to know she's not, if she's going to be bored yeah then yeah. you know exactly exactly uh, Rob Janis says uh, late uh, home late tonight first day back from holiday still lots to do 10th wedding anniversary says Craig Mace um, best take Mrs Mace out for a Night out, hashtag motorsport widow. It's the tenth. What's the problem? You could have another one. Absolutely. Are you intending on getting a divorce, Chris? It's beyond the night, does it? It's ten. She likes you. Uh, Nick Holland says, uh, I will be attending Midweek Motorsport tonight, but maybe distracted by billing and quarterly VAT filings. Uh, and uh, James Scantlebury, missing the first hour due to steak. Mm. I had steak. I haven't missed anything. Yeah, uh, nice to listen to the uh, show for the first time from the UK for the first time. Uh, thank you for your apologies for absence. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 10, Episode 34, Tim, is that correct? Oh, uh, silence. Maybe. Uh, it's quite important, remember. Can I do a bit of housekeeping? Very quickly. Uh if you were listening just before the show started, uh, you'd have heard uh, our brand new promo. Yes, it sounds good. like this. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show is 10 years old this year. This autumn, Midweek Motorsport celebrates its 10th birthday, and we want you to nominate your favourite moments from the last decade. It could be Nick's ever so accurate Formula One predictions, one of our driver interviews, our attempts to rank drivers who are sons of other drivers or whose names sound like bread, or one of Tim's fantastic game shows. Whatever's entertained you the most on Midweek Motorsport, let us know by visiting the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective at RadioLeMond.com. Tune in to Midweek Motorsport, Wednesdays at 8pm on RadioLeMond.com. I realised when I started this uh, segment I had to play it again for the benefit of people listening to the podcast who wouldn't have heard it otherwise. Yeah, good point. Uh, so if you've got a favourite part of the show uh, from the last 10 years, make sure you get onto the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective at RadioLamont.com and uh, point it out. If you're not sure where things are, send a note to Mortis Madman. He'll <laughs> probably be able to find it for you. He's our official, unofficial archivist who uh, somewhere... He must have got a spreadsheet with everything 
that is on. Uh, it, uh, have we decided it's 34? It is 34. It is 34. Uh, we're already getting suggestions for our 10th birthday. Yeah. Um, Rotation says, the episode in Series 5, I think, where Tim asked the collective for questions for a guest without telling them who it was. <laughs> it turned out to be Barry Rabbit. Yes, very yes. good. Very good. Um, I have to say, we're going to have to slightly start the, the show in proper fashion on a, a, a very somber note tonight. Graham Goodwin of DailySportsGuard.com, the editor, uh, is with us tonight. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm good, guys. Good evening, everybody. Hello, Graham. Good evening, Graham. Sorry. Can you hear me, fellas? Yes, I can. You're very yeah, you're, out, you you're, you're deep in the background, but at least uh, I can hear you. It's the best um, place for me. <laughs> um, a very bad weekend for Rebellion Racing on the track. Yeah peeled into insignificance uh, with the tragic news that Damien Lewis, Dear Moore, he's known in the paddock, their number one mechanic, was um, killed in a road traffic accident on his way back from the Nürburgring at the weekend. Horrible news. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, Damo, uh, with very many of the crew uh, prepping the cars, as many of the teams were, ahead uh, of the DHL shipping for the WEC grid that sends the uh, the championship cars out on the flyway uh, round robin and uh, yeah, early hours of yesterday morning a traffic accident at Adnow I'm afraid uh, claimed one of the best out there and uh, yeah, a man that anybody that knows the WEC paddock or the Le Mans series paddock before that uh, would recognise Damo and um, with Sieber rebellion from the very beginning and before that for many years with the Lister effort and uh, I guess doubly tragic that tomorrow would have been his 40th birthday uh, his uh, experience in motorsport is long and varied um, I read the heartfelt thoughts of Dom Kreheimer of course who uh, is uh, currently involved with him but also Jamie Campbell Walter who had worked with him in the past and, and in his Lister career, etc. Uh, he's a, a well-known and well-liked part of the WEC family. Yeah, always a smile. It's, it's, you know, he's a serious guy. I mean, this is a very professional team, but always a smile, always welcoming presence in the garage and around the team. Hugely, hugely professional. And, you know, it's just sad to think that we won't actually see him um, you know, in the in the paddock or in the, in the rebellion garage again. And let's not forget, I mean, this is the team, John. They've had fourth place finishes overall at Le Mans. This is, you know, a hugely well-drilled and professional team. And from memory, I think I'm right, um, that they actually won the Mechanics Prize was yes. two years ago at Le Mans for that very reason. So, you know, it's, it's a very sad day. Look, it's always sad to lose any member of the... Uh, the sports car racing family, the racing family. But somehow, when it's one of the guys that doesn't make the headlines, it just seems just that bit worse. Doesn't make the headlines, but also always had a cheery word for us when we walked in the garage oh, yeah. and said hello if we were walking through the paddock. I was writing uh, on a completely different subject, uh, a note over the weekend, just 
pointing out to a few people that the success of the WEC, and we'll talk about that in a moment, doesn't happen by accident, Graham, and it's not just one part uh, of the paddock of the organisation. Um, Gerard Naveau has put together a very talented set of people that work within the series, both on TV, PR, organisation, race control. The teams do their part as well, and the it's terrible to be having to talk about Damien um, Demo and coming off a weekend where the atmosphere and the whole, I suppose, the whole momentum of the WEC is, has just gone to another level. And everybody, including the guys like Demo um, who work in the paddock, they're all part of that. They're all part of what makes the WEC the WEC. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's founded, isn't it, John? On the, there's, a, there's a phrase that is used very often, almost in every conversation. That's the spirit of endurance. Mm. And for me, that's, it's a state of mind. It's the way that people approach it. And they recognize the contribution that everybody makes, whether or not it's the job that you and I do, whether or not it's the jobs that their rivals in the pit lane do, whether or not it's the role of the spectator, and they embrace it. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, a real lift this 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 weekend to see just how um how quickly uh, a new audience in germany did just that mm. Sixty-two thousand people over the weekend they're very believable Sixty-two thousand yes, people over the weekend it's not not all the time we've been able to say that about uh racetracks in particular the nurburgring but uh, make no mistake this was a very important weekend for that to go well it went fantastically well you know the weather gods smiled upon us and it's just a shame that we've got to kind of complete that roundup with, you know, with the regrets that we have about uh, awful accidents just 24 hours later. Our condolences, our thoughts and our prayers to the close family of uh, Damien and, uh, of course, to everyone who knew him in the paddock and particularly the teams, uh, the team closest around him being rebellion. I have no doubt that Bart Hayden and the rest of the team are still in a state of shock. Um, there's a, a family to think about as well for Demo. Uh, and to everybody who knew him, we pass on our best regards. Uh, sad news, as I say, then, to start the show with tonight. But, Graham, we can't ignore what went before uh, that tragic news that came earlier uh, this week. And, and that was a remarkable event at the Nürburgring. Drafted in, let's not forget to replace what everyone thought was a real shining star within the FIA WEC calendar, that being Brazil, Sao Paulo, history, excitement, South America, big market. Uh, I had a word with Dr. Wolfgang Ulrich at the weekend, and he said, do you know we've been trying for this for 10 years? Thank goodness that Gerard Navarre has seen the opportunity to put this. I mean... Words can barely describe the atmosphere that you and I and the rest of that 62,000 weekend crowd experienced over the weekend. It was it was utterly uplifting and extraordinary. It's buzzing, wasn't it? Absolutely buzzing. buzzing and no yeah. notable that uh, during the race coverage, uh, Louis Beckett, uh, our, our partner in crime uh, on WCTV, managed to grab Gerard Nouveau behind the pits 
uh, that's uh, that's actuality, not euphemism. Um, that um, <laughs> that I, I actually got him to confirm that we will be back, and it would have been difficult to say anything otherwise, having experienced that, wouldn't it, John? It wasn't just the numbers; it was it was the spirit, and yeah. um, you know, it would be the work of a madman or three. Uh, not to go back to Nürburgring if that's what we've got to look forward to and more in years two and three. Is it, is it really a surprise, Graham? Uh, no. Joe Brad, Bradley's here, um, and Joe was with us at the weekend taking in the experience. I was, of. I was, a, I was on a jolly. I was, I was part of the atmosphere and part of the crowd. It's your um, fault. Honestly, got to say, I sat in the Mercedes stand, which is that half-circle grandstand at turn one, and I got there at midday, which was a full hour before. In fact, no, I got there about quarter to 12, which is a f- over a full hour before race start. And luckily, I was, I was alone and I was able to be accommodated. And the atmosphere in the crowd was really friendly. I had to step over about three chairs to get to a seat that was, you know, about four or five rows up. The people stood up. They gave me a handout. They pulled me up. Somebody grabbed me bag. I sat there, um, the commentary was very good, it was in German, and then we had Bob Constantinus come in and update the English-speaking crowd. The atmosphere when the cars left the pits, I can only say, uh, being an avid visitor of many, many Grand Prix over decades, I got the, you know, I think when I lose the hair standing on, standing mm. up on my arms when I'm at a motor race, that's the time to give up. The atmosphere was like a football crowd. One of the things that you mentioned that I thought came through very well in all areas, uh, and uh, I forgot to mention this to Graham actually um, whilst we were out there, the attitude of everybody who was working there in terms of the marshals, the stewards, the stewards in the grandstand looking to find people spaces because the grandstands, first of all, were open. There was no extra, no charge. extra charge. And if there was a, you know, a group of three people or a family of three or four people, they were looking for spaces and asking people to move along to make space for people, which everybody was quite yeah. happy to do. And what you're describing there, John, is, you know, you have a clump of three, then one seat, then a clump of four, then one seat. Yeah. And if everybody moved along, there'd be three seats on the end. Yeah. And that's what the stewards did, you know. They, they found when... Coming up, and people were still coming into the grandstand, and you would think, you're going to be lucky here, guys. The stewards found them seats by just shuffling everyone along. Mm. And, the, and, a, and a lot of Brits there. A lot of Brits. Um, a lot of English-speaking people. When I, when I had my obligatory bratwurst in a bun, standing out on the terrace and further around the circuit, um, I joined the queue, and three or four people down the queue were English speaking mm. and were English not mm-hmm. just English speaking they were definitely English people um, so a, a good mix and why not you know that's a, it's a great place it's a, easy to get to once you get over the channel um, it's what a three hour drive from Calais mm. um, a little bit more yeah, it's you know if to, a little bit more we've, we, we, as a, as a, you, know, you don't have the blue uh, lights anymore Joe as a, <laughs> sorry yes a little bit more than three hours then um, but you know what? We've got being in England. You've got an opportunity of seeing three rounds of the World Endurance Championship if it remains the same. Exactly what I was going to say. Exactly what I was going to say. Going back to, to, to the point I was going to make. Four rounds. What am I talking about? With Le Mans. With Le Mans, of yeah, course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Graham, what I was going to say was a lot of people, including here, right turn lovers, saying positively surprised to see the WEC crowd thought that Germany doesn't have uh, an endurance audience. Um, back in 2000. And you'll remember this, and you will, 
It rained for a week for the 1,000-kilometre race there. Um, that was the um, ACO um, LMS-style race that was out there. The, the forecast was that it would rain for a week, and yet I think 35,000 people turned up on race day and sat in the pouring rain in, by the way, facilities that weren't probably quite as good as they are right now, and watched the whole 1,000 kilometre six our race. There's a 24-hour race every year. There's a VLN series that runs uh, on the Nordschleife uh, as well. There's an appetite there, and there clearly is an appetite for the big prototypes, for the big sports cars, because people were there. They were there in force. They were wearing the shirts. Uh, the autograph session on Sunday morning was unbelievable. Well, uh, there is a tradition. I mean, it is a traditional venue, whether the Nordschleife or the Grand Prix circuit, for endurance racing. Panels won that race back in 2000, by the way, David Mm. Brabham and Jan Magnussen uh, back in the day. And, you know, okay, it's a different style of racing, John, but we're never short of an audience for the Nürburgring 24 hours, now, are we? And most of the the audience that we can see from our commentary position are around the Grand Prix circuit. Yes, there's a huge number of people around the Nordschleife, but, you know, there's no shortage of people wanting to watch it from that kind of stadium atmosphere it was just a buzz and you know you you do tend to feel that it's gaining some momentum again isn't it there is another people are embracing i think a couple of things about the wec and about sports car racing one is the racing's awesome at the moment it just is and i think we saw a different phase to that which i'd like to say a little bit about uh when i finish this point and the and i think the other thing is people are starting to realize that this is a different way that they, as an audience, can experience motorsport to, to many others. And that's they are allowed to get closer to the action. They are allowed to get closer to the teams. And, and for that, you know, I think we've got to thank the WC management and the ACO. But actually, we shouldn't forget that who reminded us that this is the way that it should be. And that was the LMS. And I think what we're going to see is that very many of the lessons learned in the you know, emerging years from the American Le Mans series um, are going to be learned by the WEC. And the next one I think we're going to hear about, John, in just a couple of three weeks' time is the lesson that you need. Yeah, I think you had a great phrase for it, and I can't remember what, it, what, what that was now, but it was to do with the calendar and predictability. Calendar equity. Date equity. What that means, dear listeners, is that, um, that you, as a fan, and your family and your friends know that at a given time of the year you can expect that that race is going to be at your local circuit at that particular time of the year. It's why, for instance, the love lives of so many um, uh, endurance racing fans go absolutely out the window, not literally, nine months before June. That's mm. why, you know, if you don't find very many children's birthdays in the, in the Le Mans uh, paddock in, in, in June, I can tell you. But it's, it's exactly that. It's how do you build an audience? Well, you know what? You do it realistically and you do it, you know, steadily. And that, I, I feel, is what's actually happening right now. On track, though, John, whilst we had a great race, it was somewhat the artificial lucky i think it's fair to say um for the audi guys that the porsche did have its uh, its fuel consumption issues it gave us one hell of a, a battle in the late middle part of the race but it, those porsches my god they do look ominous yes we watched them from trackside and those of you who listen to the tv commentary that grim and i did um will have heard us waxing lyrical about how they fired out the corners 
in practice trim, in truth, in race trim, the Audis weren't actually that much different to them in pure speed terms once the race settled down. But it's clear to me, Graham, that Porsche's rest of the season body kit is clearly a winner. They've hit a very happy medium indeed. Now, I will say that uh, Audi didn't expect to do very well at the Nürburgring. They've gone back to uh, a hybrid, pun intended, version of their high downforce, excuse me, low downforce, low drag kit, which is not exactly the same as Spa, and neither is it exactly the same as... um, uh, neither is it exactly the same as, as Le Mans. Um, it's sort of a bit of both. It's 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 subtle differences, and I think you know it's tweakable. I mean, there's, I think there's all sorts of things to say about this, John. Uh, there's a, a couple of my journalistic colleagues sniffing around um, the Parc Ferme after the race, and I expect you're going to start to see a few conversations coming forward about the just how close to the edge in regulatory terms some of the solutions are getting to be in LMP1 and in particular on the Porsche um, that's there's some clever stuff that's been going on just you know one would presume clever to the point of legality and not beyond mm-hmm. uh, there were some allegations perhaps it wasn't but whatever's happening out there that is one impressive motor car Mm. Uh, Ross Urquhart's just put a, a, a decent point to, on Twitter at Speculatement were Audi saving engines after the mess up with Le Mans seals didn't look that, that way to me it, it, um, I, I don't think so but it's a fair point and we'll have to see how that plays out towards the end of the season I, I, I want to do some calendar speculation in a moment but, but before that just a quick word about that very bizarre Uh, issue that Porsche had in the middle of the race. What we haven't found out, unless you can tell me different, Graham, is when the infractions took place and which driver was at the wheel of the car. And secondly, and possibly even more importantly than that, is... Somebody's doing pit stop practice downstairs. um, Is whether there were three-lap rolling average infractions or full-hour infractions... Uh, the answer is no and no. I mm. don't know. Uh, the, the question has been asked is yet to be answered. And I would hope that, uh, that, that we might well have a couple of the ACO team at um, Paul Ricard this weekend for the European Le Mans series. Yeah. And I'll see whether or not we can't track them down for next week's show. Uh, Dave Alcock says the success of the FIA WEC is due to fans being made to feel wanted, valued and the welcome of the series take note. Well, what about this calendar then? As everyone waits with bated breath for Gerard Navarre, the CEO of the FIA World Endurance Championship, to stand up uh, at quarter at the Circuit of the Americas uh, on what, two or three weeks' time. 19th of September is the race day. Uh, broadly similar to next year is the official... You used to work in government, Graham. That uh, means it's the same calendar with a, with a date change or two, I think. I, and I think, to be honest with you, much as we're going to get groans, I'm sure, around the internet at hearing that that's what my kind of speculation is, is I think that's right. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you have to look at it and say, I think there are, there are three criteria here, John, that are very important. One is sustainability. 
And let's not forget that more than half the grid are privately owned teams. If you mm. add a race, and particularly a flyaway race, to that calendar, that is going to substantially increase what is already a quite expensive championship to be a part of. The second thing is its growth, and it's that, uh, so I forgot that phrase again, but it's that... It's Date that equity. Date equity. Um, that's that, I think, more than anything else in terms of um, you know, bottoms on seats, um, bums on bleachers, is going to be the thing that builds the audience. And I think the third thing is, it is that stability. It's, it's the guys know from one year to the next that it's pretty slick. I think there is going to be room in the future for growth. Um, you know, we all like to play fantasy grids and fantasy calendars, but any thoughts of 11 and 12 races in the very near future, I think are way more wide the mark. I, I don't think we're going to see a ninth race next season. Uh, if we do, I think I know exactly where it will be. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't think that's going to be doable in 2016. My guess would be there'll be serious consideration for a ninth race um, in the following year, in 2017. But I would expect to see eight races, broadly the same calendar, in fact, more than broadly, actually the same calendar as we have this year. Um, and the one major change, John, I think we're going to see is that I think we'll see the Nürburgring move closer to Le Mans. So if I can ask you a series of questions then, Graham. Of course you may. Uh, you think Nürburgring will move closer. How much closer? Because it was a 10-week gap this year. So we're looking at six weeks, four weeks? Uh, I, the straight answer is I don't know. Uh, but I would have guessed that they'll, they'll want clearly a pretty substantial gap after Le Mans to allow the teams to kind of recover, to allow everybody to recover, uh, to allow the cars to get back and re be rebuilt. But my guess would be that I'd be sort of surprised if we didn't have a seven or eight week gap. Okay, so reducing that gap by three, Two or three weeks, weeks, possibly. Yeah. Um, and obviously the issue that causes is that you've then got a massive gap between the Nürburgring and Cota. It's not That's that not the gap. worst thing, though, is it, no. guys? Because that gives you options in how you, you how you travel. Yeah. yeah. I uh, think it's, it, it's also it's also the other thing, Tim, is it's a kind of punctuation between the end of the European season and the rest of the season. It actually makes it a far more meaningful halfway house, if you like, halfway point of the season. And if you think about it, I mean, we are not that many days. We are what 17 days away from hitting the track uh, at Cota. Yeah. It's not, not a big gap, particularly when you've got to air freight everything, uh, some of it in a bucket, um, to uh, to the other side of the world. So going back to the first half of the calendar, you've got Silverstone presumably on the 10th of April, um, Spa 1st of May, and there then, and thereabouts, and yes. then Le Mans Test Day on the 5th of May, and uh, the Mon Race on the 18th, sorry, of June, yep. 5th of June, 18th of June. So. That is reasonably evenly spaced. Surely having uh, uh, the Nürburgring, because um, I think we all accept that it will be the Nürburgring again because Interlagos in an Olympic year in, uh, in Brazil isn't going to be hosting any races, is it? Correct. No. Indeed. I think there's bigger problems there as well, Tim, if, if we're honest. So... I have a proposal for this. Go on, Joe. Let's have a round in. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Monza before we go to Le Mans, because then everyone will be able to test their Le Mans aero kits. And then let's go to the Nürburgring towards the end of July. 
then let's go to Spa a couple of weeks after that. No, let's not go to Spa at well, all. Well, I'm thinking Spa let's because before the well, you can't because that, that's going to be oh, that's going to be a clash yeah. with the 24 hours. So it gives Spa to have a chance with their 24-hour race. Then we go to Spa in August, and the Nürburgring and Spa are in the same location. So for the teams travelling from afar, and even for the, for the teams all based in Germany, Spa isn't a real big deal to get to. And the big thing is, let's go back to Monza. I want WEC at Monza. That, you know, the Monza 1000K has such a rich history. You have to make cars a lot quieter if you want them to race at Monza. Really? Yes. Has Monza got huge... Have they only got a certain amount of... Um, noisy days allowed. Uh, three, which I used for the Grand Prix. Oh, three. Mm. Oh my goodness. I don't think Monza. Unfortunately, I don't think Monza is. In fact, I know that Monza isn't on the cards, which is a shame because I would like to go back there. And it always used to be the race, um, a race before Le Mans, of course. Go and watch Truth in Twenty Four again, and um, remind yourself what we used to do a few years ago. Um, I think that we will be, uh, as Graham says, looking at a calendar that looks broadly similar to, to what we have. I, I, I'm with you, Graham. I don't think another round is probably on the cards this year. Probably not next year either. You're asking a lot of people to make a lot of investment in the next few years in new cars. Yes. And adding in another venue, unless it is massively underwritten or um, has a travel fund for it I can't think it's it's going to happen the, the uh, if uh, I, I think there is there's certainly appetite from the manufacturers to move one of the rounds from its current location to another location um, within the continent and you can speculate. An one, or a North American one, maybe. Possibly. I yeah. couldn't possibly say. Um, because of the issues that... I know Toyota in particular have massive issues with um, being in Texas because the Texas importer has no interest at all in the race and won't support it. Um, they'd prefer to be north of the border in Canada. The two other big manufacturers involved, Audi and Porsche, um, they want, obviously want to be in the US. Um I genuinely hope that Quarter, uh, as a venue, can get their act together and start thinking like a racetrack instead of just a venue, and that they can put something on that is worthy of the World Championship and of IMSA. Um, we'll see in a few weeks' time. This, I mean, we said at the weekend, Graham, there's no better place to go to get your fix of sports car racing than the Lone Star Le Mans in a few weeks' time, when you'll see not only the World Endurance Championship, not only the uh, IMSA series, but also a couple of really good IMSA supports with the two main events on the same day. Well, yeah, I think, um, I guess what is my problem with Coach is a fantastic venue. Let's not make, make any mistake whatsoever about it. It's a fantastic venue. It is, however, John, probably the one venue we go to where it feels a little bit too overpriced uh, mm. it doesn't make take account of the fact that you're trying to build the audience it is a premium event as it should be um, but it's priced like a premium event and um, I think that's an area where they need to do a lot more thinking about not just what they need to price the event but what they need to promote it there's lots of things that could be done and I don't think they're going to find any 
um, disagreement from the, um, the, 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 the teams, the paddock, that are really pulling uh, together to make this work, um, to, to, to helping them to achieve that, whether it's kind of pre-show things in the city, whether it's media opportunities, whether it's media opportunities at the track, I'm absolutely certain they'd find people ready, willing and able to assist with that. Uh, I hope they put it together. I like going to Kota. Austin's a fantastic uh, place City, to yeah. spend time, but um, you do sort of feel... That, I guess the, the other point is this, guys, is you tend to think that if you are talking about very small change over a lengthy period of time, so maybe the addition of one race over the next two or three years, um, you st- tend to start looking for where are the weak links in the chain, and there aren't many. No, I agree. One thing that certainly was hammered home to Joe and I uh, at the weekend, that uh, the Nürburgring, Graham, has become a global brand, and all of Europe is going there for the tourist laps uh, to buy their Nürburgring beanie hats and Nürburgring shit macaroni. Um, I did. mm, Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Tell me more about this macaroni. No, I'm I'm going to let Graham disappear because he is... uh, about to take some news about a story that we were going to talk about in a moment or two. Um, and we'll let him do that. So we'll let Graham disappear and then he can come back and let us know. I, I'm hoping that we might be able to swap for uh, Shea Adam, actually. Uh, uh, Where is Shay Adam? Hang on. I'm going to check uh, if she is around uh, and ready. I can see her, yes. Yes. Um, the, the point I was trying to make, and, and Joel, you were with me um, at the, the Nordschleife, uh, and we've been, uh, I've been to the Nordschleife many times, I've been on tourist far and the tourist laps many times. It struck me that about 60 to 80%, possibly even more, at some of the times over there, of the cars were there, were, were ring specials, specially prepared, not just people to go around there. The industry that has sprung up around the Nordschleifer and the interest that that has uh, that 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 has sparked in everything to do with the Nurburgring, not just the Nordschleifer, that that has to be something that need that that, that is tapped into. There's certainly a, a, a well-developed cottage industry uh, that's built up and and developed and evolved out of that uh, those ring laps mm. and. The ring lap started at 8 a.m. Every morning we were there, and at 8.01, we saw the cars at the top end of the what is the Grand Prix circuit, what we were racing on. Going down, they would the go down into the Hudson back um, every single day. And even during our race session, all right, we had a, we had, what what, what was our rest? Has there been an official number of how many people? There was 65,000 over the weekend. 62,000 over the weekend, yeah. Yeah, well, even, you know what? You saw it, John, as much as I did. Not everyone doing the ring laps were there because of the WEC round. Oh. There were, you know, we had a, a 65,000, 62,000 crowd coming along to watch World Endurance Championship. And I don't know how many thousands, hundreds, thousands of cars that we had that were in the area purely to take their cars on the Nordschleife. Mm. There was, was a huge combined number. deals where you got 
No. And that that's very, very interesting. Few laps, you've got mm. half price off a race ticket. Yeah, like you know that that's very interesting. You should say that, Tim, because there wasn't. There there have been in the past, and and most of the paddock has disappeared over there. Um, in the early after numbers suggest that it's not needed. Then. Well, yeah, it's interesting, and yeah. you remember a few years ago, there was a uh, an experiment with the Nurburgring 24. And the Le Mans 24, very different types of racing, of course. But I do wonder if the Nurburgring 24 and the uh, and the sorry the Nurburgring six hours and the Le Mans 24 might be something that uh, that might actually work together. And I certainly like your idea, Tim, of saying, you know, if you buy a ticket. Um, for the six hours, a three-day ticket for the six hours, um, then, you know, one has to presume, of course, at that point that there's tourist far and available because it's not always on. They might have other things on, industry days, people who've rented it out exclusively. But if it was, it would be a great deal. Not everyone's crazy enough to take the car that they travelled all the way down to the Nürburgring onto the Nordschleife because we can see what happens when you don't treat the Nordschleife with the respect. Every session we went down there, there was at least one car got trailered off. But there are ring taxis. There are, you can turn up at the ring and hire a car with an instructor if you want and hire a car to take you round the ring. It's cheaper with the instructor, isn't it? Yes. Um, and you know the reasons why, Tim, because the instructor, the instructor will keep you in check and, yeah. and tell you how to get round it rather than you go off and, and explore the, the outer boundaries of the, of the Nordschleife, which um, can lot of people are exploring those boundaries. Every bit of... Uh, I had a, f- a friend of mine who was over for the 24 hours and he stayed back, him and his friend stayed back and uh, he put his BMW 3 Series backwards into the wall and it cost €1,100 Euros to Just have to it, it recovered. Off the, off the Nordschleife? Yes, to get, mm. it cost, they charge you to get, you know, to, to remove your car from the barrier. I can imagine that's quite lucrative as well. No, I, I think I would like to have that contract. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's coming up to 20 minutes to 10 here in Central Europe. There's still people working down in the paddock here at the Circuit of Catalonia. It is the Creventic uh, International Endurance Series this weekend, 24-hour race uh, here at Barcelona. We'll be covering that. Yes, it's going to happen. It, it will get there eventually. Um, uh, and uh, we will be having that in sound and vision for you. Graham Goodwin back with us in a moment, but let's cross over to Florida. Shea Adam will be joining us uh, later on in the week uh, here at uh, Circuit de Catalunya. But uh, for the moment, she's a, in fact, she should be on the way at the airport now. So hopefully she's somewhere near where she's going. Uh, good afternoon then to you, Shea. Good afternoon, John. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Shay, you were, and thank you for interrupting lunch to do this for us, you were, gave us a very detailed catch-up on Trans Am this season and then detailed a, an incident that had occurred at Mid-Ohio, wasn't it, um, mm-hmm. between series uh, championship leader Amy Roman and, um, I mean, someone really who should know better uh, we former we got a, series champion <laughs> a, yes absolutely and a former series champion detail to us what's uh, what's happened uh, today in terms of of the penalties that have come about 
following Transam looking at this. They did say they were going to look at it. They've taken the time. There's been no knee-jerk uh, reaction. Uh, there's been plenty of speculation uh, in the press about what was uh, what was going to happen. But what has happened? Well, before the racing actually got underway this weekend, they had a driver's meeting where they told everybody there uh, that as a result of the actions performed by Tommy Dreesy at Mid-Ohio, uh, he would lose all points that he gained from that weekend. So not only the race, but the qualifying points. And he was on pole, so that was substantial. Um, and that a one-year ban was given to him in form of a suspension. They, they don't like using the word ban in Trans Am. So he will not be allowed back into any race of the series. Now, they do still have about five left this year, and that means he'll miss, if he wanted to do any of the first ones, he'll miss about five at the start of next year's calendar as well. When that comes out, I'm, I'm speculating, of course, given on this year's calendar. But that means that his return will be in time for Mid-Ohio again next year. So it could just be setting up a little more trouble. This is a relatively punitive punishment, isn't it? We are not used to seeing this, but it should be stressed. This is only uh, active within Transam. Transam can't stop him from going and plying his trade elsewhere. That would have to be a national sanctioning body. I suppose somebody like the SCCA or IMSA would have to, well, have to look at that. But Transam is a part of SCCA. And uh, what actually happened afterwards, once the penalty was handed out, Tommy went to, um, I can't think of the word right now, but he went to protest the penalty. There yes. it is. Um, to, to which he brought forth evidence and SCCA looked at it and said, no, sorry, it, it is a one-year suspension in Trans Am. It doesn't have the carryover effect to have him suspended from other series, which is something that maybe more people in the paddock would have liked to see, uh, namely Amy Ruman, but... For her, at least, she doesn't have to worry about him being back in the series for one year, and now she can put her head down and carry on with her goals of trying to win this championship. Mm. Do you uh, do you feel that Amy will be will feel vindicated over this? You reported a couple of weeks ago. No, <laughs> no? she wanted no. she wanted something done though. She wanted it recognised, but you don't think this in her in her mind this will have gone far enough. There is no vindication for her after what happened. She was leading the race at her home venue uh, where she had never won before. She'd won five out of seven races so far in the series. At that point, it was actually uh, four out of six. Uh, sorry, five out of six. And she had that thing wrapped up uh, for her to be taken out in front of her home crowd, in front of some of her sponsors. That she can't get back. So in that aspect, there is no vindication. And that's sort of what the Trans Am people say, that they feel badly for her because nothing they do to Dreesy can give her back that's that position issue, of yeah. leading. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Is this the end of it or are we going to hear more? Is there yet more to come out of this? No. The, Right. No, the, 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 the protesting in terms of, of, of Tommy Reese's situation, there isn't a higher court that he can take it to, or if, even if there was, he's, he's decided to accept this and, and go away and be quiet for a while. Yeah, he took it to the highest officials that he could, and they turned him down, so there's, there's no getting around it. But again, this is a guy who only did one to two races a year, so it's not like this is a big detriment. The other race mm. that he was planning to run already happened. That was last weekend at Road America. And 
it's one of those things coulda, shoulda, woulda, but it's over now. So we'll uh, we'll see how that comes out at uh, well mid Ohio next year. Shay, thanks very much. We'll let you get back to your lunch and make your no plans problem. for travelling, and uh, I'll see you here Thursday evening. Thank you, John. Cheers, Shay. Shay Adam joining us for the update on Tommy Dreese's one-year suspension from all Trans Am competition after uh, what was perceived to be a deliberate action uh, of taking out the race leader at Mid-Ohio uh, a couple of events ago. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 10, Episode 34, just on quarter to nine in the UK. Andrew Dolan. Uh, who is, has tweeted in at Spectatainment says Silverstone website has the provisional WEC date 15th to the 17th of April. That would be inconvenient because that would clash with uh, Long Beach. Mm. Yes, it would be. Uh, have we got Graham back? Yes. Excellent. Good, uh, good work on the computers back at uh, our main control room. It's like room. he never went away. It was like... <laughs> Graham, welcome back. <laughs> Hello, Gigi. Hello, guys. Can you hear me? Yes, no problem. Uh, Graham, um, thank you for following up on uh, on that particular story. Um, uh, well, so, I, well, I would have wanted, would have done if they had the phone switched on, but never mind. Ah, right. Okay. Um, however, um, earlier on today, in fact, I was uh, in the room whilst this was being typed out. It, uh, press release from the guys behind the 24-hour series and the International Endurance Series powered by Hankook, Kravenik, the Dutch organisers, have uh, today here at Montmelo at Barcelona's Catalonia. At the circuit here at the south of Sp- middle part of Spain, anyway. Um, they have made a, a, an announcement that we've we've heard has been rumbling around for a little while, and it looks now, at least uh, with this press release, and particularly with the comments from Stuart Pringle, who's the sporting director at Silverstone, that uh, it looks like a 24-hour race is coming back uh, to Silverstone and uh, has uh, at least some tenure now. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, we're not quite there, I don't think. But uh, let let me go through the kind of the the story as I understand it. You're right, John. There has been a press release released by Kravonsic and endorsed by Silverstone, saying that we will have a 24-hour race uh, at Silverstone next year for touring cars only, which I believe is principally to do with noise restrictions. 102 uh, decibel limit. Correct. At Silverstone. Uh, so, so that's that. Uh, and, let's, I, and, and, and let's, by the way, for people who are jumping on the bandwagon and saying they're throwing out the interesting cars. That is absolute nonsense. The 102 decibel limit has been in position for a couple of events now. And let's not forget the furore that poor James Tucker had to look after in the latter years of the Brickcar 24, with people having cars pulled in from the, the the event during the race, with laps being disallowed, with people being to... shoved up the exhaust, yes, etc. Et et exactly. So this is I, nothing I think, new. This is, it, it, look, this will eventually be good news, and I'll come to why eventually in a moment, um, because I think it will secure that event's future. That said, John, there appears to be some doubt as to whether or not this is finally uh, fully agreed. I've had contact this evening from Brickcar. 
Uh, now, as I understand it, moving forward into 2016, uh, I believe that James, James Tucker, still holds the rights to the tw- the, uh, the Silverstone 24 Hours, um, but James will be um, leaving the helm of Britcar. That will move to, I believe, uh, a number of the, the people that have been uh, in, involved with the management of Britcar uh, for some little time, but without James at the helm. So let's put the two things apart. Britcar will go forward next year with a new management team or revised management team. The 24 hours of the um, of Silverstone looks like it's in the process of being transferred to uh, to be organised and promoted by Cravantic, which we know to be a very good thing. John, uh, mm-hmm. you're up on their races now. I've I've covered a number of them. They're always a, a great event and always very well done. I don't think, though, uh, by the sound or rather the tone of some of the communications I've had this evening from Britcar, that that deal is yet finally done. It's an odd one, isn't it? Um, the event is the Hancock 24 Hours of Silverstone. There's a date here, which is the 1st, 2nd and 3rd of April. And Stuart Pringle, the sporting director of Silverstone Circus Limited, has said, I'm delighted that Creventic has reached a deal to take over the running of the 24-hour race at Silverstone. They run some excellent excellent endurance races in Europe and further afield. I look forward to them bringing a healthy entry to Silverstone 2016 and beyond. Well, let's hope that the whatever snags there are get, uh, that, that get uh, ironed out. I like the idea of turning a potential negative, this 102 decibels limit that has caused such ire and issue for GT4 and GT3 runners uh, and some of the prototype style runners in the past, Graham, turning it into a positive. Uh, The touring cars will get effectively their own 24-hour race. And as I was speaking to Gary Phillips yesterday um, when we arrived here at the, the circuit, that is the absolute roots of Cravantic. And in some ways, you know, I think James would realize, would, would accept as well that that's the roots of where Britcar came from because they had looked at some of the Dutch races and taken those as their template. Uh, absolutely, John. I think it's uh, it's going to be, I think, an interesting... Um, way to go racing and particularly 24 hour racing not forget it's not that long ago when the spa 24 hours was the touring car race it was the turn yeah. of this century uh, where it transitioned and okay that was because things were going to drop off but you know we've got a pretty rich club scene now and certainly the um the Gravantic family uh, is more than able to turn around uh, a grid with literally dozens of cars. We've seen that time and time again, uh, embarrassingly so at Mugello, where uh, they rather underestimated the fueling they'd need, which mm. which was a bit of ire. But I think you know, I think it can only be, only be a good thing. Let's hope. I'm sure it's it's last minute bits and pieces that need to be kind of sorted out. But uh, that what we'll get uh, happily is a stable 24-hour race for the UK. Uh, the other thing, that, sorry, Graham. The other thing that's great about this, the uh, the structure that they use in touring car category, so A5 up to A2, uh, and special classes for diesels. The plan is for that to uh, be the class structure in Hancock 24 Hours at Silverstone, but they want to add a class for the TCR regs. Great move. 
plus a category for young timers in classics. I'm uh, taking that's cars, not drivers. Yeah. Well, I was hoping both actually. Uh, the uh, the other thing that this is, as usual, we will have TV coverage with Mortners TV and live streaming throughout on the race series website. Uh, this, uh, and by the way, I'm told that they've already got an entry that was posted this afternoon on their website and sent out to the usual challenge. And there's a Seat team uh, already signed up. Uh, it's not, I think Kinetic have already Kinet- signed up. Kinetic have yeah. been told this evening have already been on to Kravontic and mm. have, have uh, proposed an entry. I was I was just going to uh, rather cheekily add it wasn't the Seat with Evo Breukers in it, was it? Because uh, <laughs> I'm sure not. he's going to be forming a less than ordinary queue outside the office. But um, I think, look, it's good news. Stability, again, stability is a good thing. And what we do know is that James and the team have they've done a good job in keeping Agreed. that race alive. Uh, but Kravantic can actually take it, I think, to the next stage. A, a long, long time ago, a boss of mine whose name will be very familiar to... Uh, Radio Le Mans listeners, one Alexander Hesketh. Yes, that's Alexander Hesketh, who in my time with him was a government minister and used to give advice to people on their business ventures. And what he always said was, there comes a time when the best idea in the world has to be handed over to people who are better than you are to run it. Mm. And that's not a slur or a slap at anybody uh, individually or corporately. It is just that what we know about Kravontic is they can take these events forward and grow them and I think that's a very important thing uh, when you're talking about something that's as as edgy as a 24-hour race. Is this a similar situation then as to what we've been talking about in recent weeks with the Bathurst 12 hours in that that Yeehaw, uh, James and his team and other James, funny enough, and his team um, have, you know, put that race into the public consciousness they've given it an identity but there is a point that uh, they have to say well you know if someone with a bigger catchment area a, a bigger a bigger dog can come along that can pull the sled faster then then why would that be a bad thing and, and you and I have had conversations down the years with James Tucker whose sheer bloody mindedness let's not that forget and I say that with much love to anybody who's listening at Brickcar because I was the one that said it'll never happen and if it do, if you do get it to happen James I promise you we will come down and do the first one and he did and it we did and we did, and we did about the first four or five, I think, and then went back a, a few years later. But but James has had to, uh, James Tucker and Brit Carr have had to work extremely hard, Graham, in the, in the last few years, um, with you know finding the grids, finding the competitors. There are lots more of other, other things to do. If this can be integrated, if this new Hancock 24 Hours of Silverstone can be integrated somehow, and I accept it's a, a, a touring car only event, if it can be integrated somehow into the IES and the point scoring can be sorted out, that can be nothing but a good thing for the event, for endurance fans in the UK, and indeed, you know, one-off endurance drives in the UK. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, we've got a, we've got a very long history 
of very good world-class touring car racing in the mm. UK and, and no small cohort of supporters of endurance racing and yes. touring cars in the UK. You know, I think, you know, it is one of those things. If you build it, people will come. I've done a, a, a pretty large proportion of the Brick Car 24 Hours. There's been some clashes that have kept me away from some of them. I think it was the very first one that you guys did. Uh, I was with you that year. I slept in the boot, the boot of the Ford Mondeo to be there. And I'm not mm. talking about an estate car either. Um, but it, it's, it, it is something, I think, there is enthusiasm for these things. It has to find its place and it has to find momentum. And, and what excites me about the, the announcement we've seen this afternoon, and you know, I'm sure it will be confirmed, John, um, is that that's what, exactly what it gives us. You know, when you go to a track that perhaps we've not been to before, and let's face it, look, look at the Dubai 24 hours and how that's mm-hmm. bedded in. Look at their, their um, role together with James and his team in, at Bathurst. Is it the same thing? I don't think it is. And I think the reason it's not the same thing as what's happened with Bathurst 12 Hours is because I think what you've got with Silverstone is a, an event that has got profile but not a lot of momentum. Um, with Bathurst, I think it's actually, uh, it's almost got too much momentum and too much profile. And actually, I think a predominant player in the market has seen that as an opportunity. And why wouldn't they? Um, this uh, from Alistair Duran says he has tweeted out to make entertainment if they can guarantee a 30 car grid start I would consider marshalling had a weekend of uh, few cars at Snetterton uh, in the past uh, first second and third of April next year Tim that date uh, is the date that we announced uh, about seven weeks ago on this very programme as being the date for the return of the uh, Silverstone 24 hours uh, run by Brick Car mm. Uh, so, who owns the date? Britt Carr or James Tucker? Well, uh, uh, my understanding, and it's it's an understanding from various bits and pieces that I've picked up, rather than having spoken yet to either James, because I've been stuck in uh, a meeting that I couldn't break to get a requested call to, to James this evening, uh, or to the rest of the uh, the current Britt Carr staff. My understanding is that the arrangement is for 2016, James will not be part of the management team for the Brick Car series, whatever that's going to be called in 2016, but that he still is, um, if you like, in charge, in possession of the rights for the, for the uh, Silverstone 24 Hours. Uh, the other thing is that the Brick Car website has uh, 50 cars on its provisional entry list already. Uh, yeah. Um, would you like me to comment on that, or would you like me to? No, on? I think we've commented on that before, haven't we? <laughs> no, I think I think we need to. to I think put some that of the some of these entries uh, may be surprised to find themselves on here. Is that right? Yeah. Let's let's move on from that. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Graham Goodwin isn't going to leave us. It's John Hindorf and Joe Bradley in Catalonia waiting for the Barcelona 24 hours. <laughs> Uh, and this is Series 10, Episode 34 of Midweek Motorsport on RadioLamont.com. Midweek Motorsport. And if you thought that hour was packed with insights and comments, wait till you hear what's next. Coming up in Hour 2, more of the same. Well, not exactly the same, otherwise we could just replay the first hour. Uh, we'll have your tweets, please, to at RadioLamont or at Specutainment. Still work going on in the pit lane below us here at the Circuit de Catalunya. Uh, we'll be talking a bit about that event at the, wi- at the weekend in the next hour. Also some American news with Racer.com's Marshall Pruitt. But next some more sports car news with Joe Bradley and Graham Goodwin along with me, John Hindorf, and of course Tim Gray 
It's all here on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Uh, that would be the, the film music, wouldn't it? So it what? Fil- right. Can I just very quickly say, um, uh, Johannes uh, Johannes has said, "Is Midweek Motorsport coming to us from a cathedral at the bottom of a well today?" We are sitting in an F1 commentary box overlooking the last couple of corners of the uh, of the circuit to Catalonia today. So uh, apologies if the sound quality isn't up to uh, our usual standard. Well, I can assure you it isn't a toilet. It's not a lavatory. It's not no. a public toilet. Uh, what are we? What film are we going to discuss then? What movie are we going to discuss, uh, Tim? Well, we're going to discuss a pair of movies. Right. Uh, first of all, while we're on the subject of Silverstone, yeah. Uh, at the weekend, it was MotoGP at Silverstone. It was, which I haven't seen because obviously we were working, but I kept up with it on Twitter and social media, and. Valentino Rossi's extraordinary season of finishing every race so far at age, what is he, 37 now? Uh, on the podium continues and he's got another win. We said it was a circuit he liked, the conditions were difficult uh, and he just went and won it. This this season, whatever happens to the championship, Valentino Rossi's, this is his best season ever. Full stop. Even if he doesn't win the championship, I, th- I just can't. I can't keep looking at these results and thinking, uh, you know, how is he doing this at that age? This is this is a young man sport, Joe Bradley. This you, this is you get hurt. You don't heal so well when you're older, and he's putting in performance, the performance of his life. It's the need to put yourself on the edge, and not never more so than on a motorcycle, on a racing motorcycle. And it's just that mental capacity that allows you to do it. You know, we, we talk about Marquez, and he's a young man, and he's got it all to do and all to prove. Valentino Rossi pretty much has nothing else to prove. It's just the passion that still burns very brightly, clearly. And that passion is still to win and be the best. And to be doing that, still, after all of these years of being at the very top level, of uh, motors, motorcycle racing, it just it, it amuses me. It's like it, it's a phenomena. We're going to look back at this in ten years' time and wish we'd gone to more MotoGP races this year. Uh, sorry, that was a bit of a side. That, we're not, that hasn't got us to a movie yet. So uh, Valentino Rossi was the winner, and uh, as you can say, uh, who else could possibly win the MotoGP title? Well, Jorge Lorenzo mm-hmm. says uh, he's faster than Valentino, and therefore he will win the title. Uh, but back to uh, the subject. Among the guests on the grid at Silverstone for uh, the uh, Circuit of Wales' uh, first uh, round of the MotoGP series uh, was uh, a small child called Knox. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or to give him his full name, Knox Jolly Pitt, the son right. of Brad Pitt. Mm. Ah, 
Yes, Brad Pitt is a big MotoGP fan, isn't he? He's just in a movie or something, hasn't he? Is that what Tim's uh, coming to? Here we go. Don't there we go, it. yes. Uh, tonight is the premiere of uh, Hitting the Apex. Yes. Uh, a documentary uh, narrated by Brad Pitt about MotoGP. And I was thinking that uh, because the premiere was tonight... Uh, and uh, Nick Damon doesn't uh, seem to worry about taking part in this show anymore. <laughs> uh, he uh, might have been able to go and watch it and review it for us. But uh, he's just tweeted that he's, a, he's a, apologies to the fellas. He's in a pod uh, on his way to Heathrow. Or on his way back. He back must be on his Heathrow. way back. So he might be in the car now. I might be able to get him on the phone, actually. But he won't have seen the movie. He so. won't have seen the movie. No. Uh, and uh, he'll have to go and find it somewhere. It will have to go a very long way to beat uh, Road uh, as a documentary on motorcycling on the Dunlop family, which I just noticed somebody tweeting the other day uh, had seen for the first time. Uh, that, it's an, that is an extraordinary... Where does that sit with Closer to the Edge? Uh, I think better. Is it? I like Closer I've got, to I've the Edge. I've got the Blu-ray. I just haven't watched Road oh, yet. Oh, you have to watch it. You I've have just to. ordered the... Uh, but don't... Yeah, you can't be interrupted. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I haven't watched it yet. Yes, yes. Uh, and by the way, uh, the Circuit of Wales this week has uh, has had a bit of a boost, uh, Tim, hasn't it? Another one. Yes, it has. The uh, apparently the Wales uh, Wales Assembly government has uh, decided to look more favourably on its application for planning with regard to the common land and. Yeah. It has uh, provided that, quote-unquote, other satisfactory arrangements can be made for replacing the common land, which is a part of the planning application. They see no reason that it can't go forward. So that's actually quite a big step forward for Circuit of Wales. certainly is. Mm. Uh, Back to the movies, though. (laughs) Right. Right. if you are a subscriber to Netflix mm-hmm. in Europe or North America, yes, uh, you will now know or notice that you're able to watch Gonchi, right? Which is the, uh, ah, yes, the movie Gr- about Gonzalez. Gonzalo Rodriguez, yes, uh, which I have a credit on. Do you? Yes. Well done. Does that get you on the IMDb bit and uh, site or not? Uh, should do, although I should already be on there. Right. Uh, and well, that's two the of the members of the show that's got an uh, IMDb credit then. And the third uh, bit of movie news uh, relates to Steve McQueen, The Man and Le Mans. Yes. Which has been announced as being in the London Film Festival. Oh, has it? Oh, well done. I'm so pleased for Andrew Marriott on that. So uh, that has two showings. If you want to go and see that at the BFI London Film Festival, uh, it's on at quarter past six on the 14th of October. Right. Or half past 12 on the 16th of October. Is that half past midday? Half, half past, past midday. Right, yeah. Uh, and if you're not in the UK, uh, it's also in the Irish Film Festival. Yes, uh, I saw that. Somebody tweeted that last week. Ireland. Uh, and uh, later this month, you'll be able to go and see it in the Adelaide Film Festival if you're Richard Crail. Uh, and we may yet have a note from Creelsey actually in this programme because uh, I'm expecting some Antipodean uh, news. I think that might break after we finish. Ah, okay, fine. Uh, carrying on then. Uh, the 
well, that's very good news for Andrew because I, that has been an absolute labour of love and he has done a fantastic job uh, with that uh, telling of the McQueen story. Uh, he's come up every uh, he's come up trumps with everything and every time I speak to him he remembers something else that he, he wants to talk to me about about how they found the footage and a huge amount of footage um, eight and a half miles of footage was shot ironic considering the length of the track mm. <laughs> they found uh, they found huge amounts of uh, uh, rushes for the film in a basement in uh, California yeah, which had thought to have been lost, um, and there was a lot of stuff there. And which, having looked at uh, some of it, uh, has no value whatsoever, and uh, probably should have been uh, thrown away. In the but it's it's the stuff that, when you look back on it now, Tim, that obviously would never have made the movie, but gives context and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, some of the stuff that didn't work. Um, it, which is really quite interesting because the, there's also some extra footage um, I'm led to believe that was shot for the, the making of documentary, if you like, that that wasn't su- such a big thing in those days. That you know, it wasn't as if everybody had DVD extras, but they did shoot a behind-the-scenes short feature. And there's more stuff found Which actually on that wasn't as well. that short in the end, was no, it? No, exactly. That's that's a very good point. Um, and more than that, uh, um, more parts of that stuff had, had popped up as uh, well. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, it's Series 10, Episode uh, Number 34. Uh, Graham Goodwin is uh, busy for a moment or two. Uh, we've got I've Tim. Got a comment from the collective. Oh yes, fine. Away, please. Uh, which is uh, from Stu G, who says, yeah. uh, "I have it on good authority there will be an extra date on next year's calendar." Uh, because it's a leap year. Very good. It took a little <laughs> while for me to get that one. It really did. I've got a question. Um, Going back to. Uh, and it was uh, Alan Prosser, by the way, who was tweeting about Road uh, this morning. Um, so uh, thank you for reminding me, Alan. Yes, sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, I have a uh, question about uh, Silverstone 24 Hours, but first of all, Graham Goodwin may have an answer about the Silverstone 24 Hours. Well, uh, hello. Good, good as. hello, I hope you can hear me, guys. Uh, no, yes, I, I have spoken to someone who does know what's going on. This is literally um, breaking news. Is this literally exclusive? Literally breaking news. Exclusive well, first breaking thing I can news. tell you is whether or not we got a race, they've now got eight registrations for it. <laughs> um, Excellent. Um, it would appear to be, certainly there is good reason to believe that there is an agreement uh, in place, uh, in part, whether or not there's a contract yet uh, between Kravontic and... James Tucker, there appears to be less certainty as to whether or not there's an agreement yet between James and Silverstone. Uh, but you know what? This is going to happen. One way or another, it's going to happen. So I think we move on. Uh, I'm rather more interested in. I take it you've sp- spoken to someone at the sharp end of, of Kravondik in yes, the time that we've been yeah. away. Okay, right, fair yeah. enough. Um, so as far, as far as I'm concerned at this stage, I'm aware of what we have had in terms of an exchange of correspondence and what we've not. I know that there's been conversations this evening between Kravondik and James and that they have been very cordial. Uh, I think we should stop worrying about this and uh, and move on to the point, let these guys do the job they've got to do and get the paperwork done so that we can get on and race. Mm, absolutely. Brilliant stuff. 
before we yes. say goodbye to Graham, have we got any other European oh, sports car news no, no, to discuss? Yeah, no, no, yes, absolutely. got quite a bit. And, and we'll rattle through it because Marshall Pruitt is standing by. Um, a few things that came up over the weekend uh, and since Graham, um, after the Nürburgring, uh, Alpine uh, had a decent run again at the weekend. And Philippe Senior, who's the man at the top of that famous French name, um, quite bullish about where the company might be headed. Well, uh, Philippe Sino uh, from Signatech uh, is basically the man running the Alpine race program for them. And he's put forward, uh, with thanks, by the way, for Matt, Matt Fernandez, another listener, and uh, DSC contributor too, um, to having a chat with Philippe. Uh, three proposals, one of which is um, LMP2. And we gather that Signatech have ordered an Orica 05, by the way, mm. uh, um, that's also put forward a proposal for LMP1 for Alpine. And beyond that, a, a proposal for GT as well. And, of course, we saw, actually, before anybody else did, John, uh, you, I, and everybody else in the Radio Le Mans booth, uh, the Alpine, uh, now delayed, rather, Alpine um, concept car that was paraded before the start of the mm-hmm. race at Le Mans this year. So Alpine clearly looking forward, and certainly Signatech looking forward to nailing down Alpine to um, something in the future. The interesting thing, of course, is that Alpine are a manufacturer, and... You can't have a manufacturer in LMP2 um, in, in that kind of format, I don't think, for very, very much longer. So Alpine's certainly looking for a way forward. So, so does that mean that that car, that car wouldn't be able to be branded as an Alpine well, and that the team couldn't be called Alpine Racing? They'd have to go well, back I, to being I, called I guess, I guess they couldn't be called Alpine Racing because mm. it's a manufacturer. So um, mm. despite the fact that a car has been ordered... It does seem a bit of a misnomer, doesn't it, really? Let's wait and see how that one pans out. In addition to which, John, positivity, I think, all round from the WC grid, or almost all round. Uh, I think we're expected to see Tequila Petroni SM back next year. That was yeah. being openly discussed with us by the team. Um, and we're hearing rumours of new blood into LMP2 for next year, with at least two new teams uh, actively considering full programmes for next year. And by the way, neither of those... Um, include the names name Brabham because we know that David That's Brabham is working towards that. So every reason to be hopeful that people are looking positively about P2 next year. The other bit that was doing the rounds, and I think you're going to ask me about, is GTE. Yes, GTE. We've got the Ladue test coming up very shortly. I did look to see how far away we were from that and whether we could sneak over and and, and look at it. Look over the fence. Yeah. Yes. Um, in some ways, we're getting a little more information about that. In some ways, there's still things that are a, a, a little bit hazy. But, but tell us the developments. What are you What are you hearing? Well, okay. Uh, we know about the 4GT. You've talked about that on the show in recent weeks, and they are, seem to be extraordinarily well-prepared. Uh, we saw the first pictures of the Ferrari, the new GT version of the Ferrari. Now, mm. a couple of interesting things about that car. Uh, the first is, it's a fundamental, quite aside from the fact we've moved to a turbocharged power plant for the Ferrari, it's a fundamental change in philosophy for Ferrari. Why? Well, because their GT3 car previously has been based on the Ferrari Challenge cars. Correct. Um, as of the 488 program, as our understanding is that uh, a GT3 car can be upgraded, I'm guessing at some considerable cost, to a GTE car. So, so Ferrari, Ferrari have effectively done their own convergence. 
uh, looks that way. Um, now in terms of the, the other thing that was coming out when we saw Genius. these pictures, uh, which I think we incorrectly said initially were at Imola, I think they were actually in Valladolid, um, oh. and is that, that the car looked pretty similar to a 458. Well, it does look pretty similar to a 458, but I am told that with a, if you take a line horizontally to the centre line of the wheels, it is completely new downwards. So the bottom of the car, mm. which means the rear arrow, which, by the way, I think we can uh, assume that they are therefore taking the option of extending their diffuser rather than the wing, um, that is completely new. So Ferrari, clearly there and on track. Porsche, we're beginning to get some... Uh, some more information out of the Porsche camp. And a bit of a change of direction for Porsche because the rumours yeah. that we had been reporting for some time that, the, that there was a question mark, at least a question mark, hanging over Porsche's WEC GTE future um, seemed to have had possibly slightly uh, more to them than we even believed. However, some smart work behind the scenes and some sensible conversations between Porsche uh, and the WEC seems to have averted that and have kept them in the championship. Although still working towards, we believe, a new car for 17 uh, with an I'm engine in a different place. I'm pretty convinced that we are looking at probably, unless the uh, marketing strategy changes radically, the final year. Um, astonishingly, the final year for the Porsche 911 as the lead. Um, GT race car for Porsche. I think we're looking at something mid-engined. There was the opportunity to do something mid-engined with a 911 for mm. the current iteration of GT3 car. Porsche opted not to do it. But I do believe we're going to see them back in the WEC with another car which will be a revised version of the current specification. They look set to take the wing option uh, with their car. Um, the other big change we're going to see for all of the GTE cars for this year, and it's one that's given Corvettes the biggest, I wouldn't say headache, but biggest task, is the safety changes, which means you've got mm -hmm. up the new extraction roof hatch, the detachable uh, chair, uh, seat, driver's seat rather, and that has required for a number of the, the uh, manufacturers a fundamental rejigging, literally, of their roll good. cage. Um, the uh, final other one I want to talk about in terms of GTE prospects is Aston Martin. If anybody's rushing to make it for Ladoo, it's the Aston Martin racing yeah. guys. Uh, they are the ones. The Corvette, by the way, I can tell you the Corvette was finished uh, some time ago. Uh, not perhaps had as much testing as they wanted, but I talked to a member of the team at VIR and the car was sitting complete, ready to be stripped back down again to be shipped. Uh, and that was at VIR weekend. So, yes, sure. they've had some issues, but issues that have been addressed and, uh, and put to bed. Yeah, and the final not one... Not so Aston Martin, perhaps. It's oddly, not, oddly enough, not a GTE car, because it's the GTLM car, this being the BMW. Now, mm. um, more than one manufacturer's representative said to me that BMW have made it clear that they will be at the Ladu test. I know uh, you had some sources suggest that they might mm. not be. I believe, at the moment... The two sides to the story of this, in technical terms, they're about where they need to be. They can have that car at Ladu. I don't believe yet, though, John, they've got to the stage where they have an agreement in place for that car to run as a GTLM from either the FIA or from IMSA. And I think we will hear more about that in due course. Uh, it may not be the worst thing for them to have the car there to at least benchmark the performance. Uh, I think there is still some uh, negotiation 
to be done between BMW, the other manufacturers in IMSA, and indeed IMSA themselves, to find a common ground between that. Maybe that's something we discuss with Marshall Pruitt in a few moments' time. Quick bit of news from here today at Barcelona. Thank you. Um, we were at the uh, Olympic venue actually earlier on today. The uh, is that uh, Jerome Blakemolen is back with uh, Ram Racing, Graham, and uh, augmenting an already very strong lineup. Well, it's a change. It's, we've said before, John, that it is now regulated. You've got to have an AF Corsa um, Ferrari on the grid for every endurance race uh, in the mm. world now. And indeed, I believe this is, uh, this is an advance uh, look at what we're going to see next year for Cravantic, which in a shameless... Shameless kind of move to uh, to actually you know buck up the uh, the racing economy in the home country. You've got to have a Dutch driver in every car. <laughs> so um, it's, you have to have a Blakemol in every car. Well, you know, I think the thing is, I think I think I think what you've got. We, we have had the driver market getting clogged up quite a lot uh, lately, and obviously this just just helps to to break it up just a little. But uh, no, great news of course for Ram Racing. They're looking um, well. You know, Tom Onslow called Thomas Yeager and Paul White are not exactly rabbits, are they? Let's be. No. It's got to be said, and you know, Paul on his day, um, I think one of the best gentleman drivers we've got at the moment Great. on that or any grid. Tom Onslow Cole coming on in leaps and bounds as an endurance racer, and Thomas Jaeger needs to take lessons from nobody. No. But you add into that um, the Bleaker Molen boy, as I'll patronisingly call him for, the, for, for the, on this occasion, and I think what you've got is a car full of trouble for everybody else. And they can win the championship this weekend, of course, by winning the race, and that means they don't have to rely on what anybody else does or doesn't do. Full coverage from Friday of the National Endurance Series uh, penultimate round because we do have uh, Bruno to come in October uh, that's live in Sound and Vision on RadioLeMond.com uh, from here at Barcelona Thank you very much indeed to uh, Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCard.com, who we will allow to disappear into the ether. We'll remind you that you're listening to RadioLeMond.com. It's live and our uh, weekly midweek motorsport show, two hours at this time uh, every week on a Wednesday, just coming up to 25 minutes past 10 here. And remarkably, there are still at least half a dozen garage doors open with work going on. The paddock gently filling up for the weekend's event. Uh, and the uh, organisation going on uh, apace. As for... Uh, the organisation going on a pace, as I say, uh, for this very big event. Uh, let's uh, go back to London for a moment. Tim Gray, what do you have for us? Lotecias en español. Ole. For midweek motorsport. We really couldn't. Uh, whoa. 
That's the stop button. Do you know what the interesting thing is that we have been deliberately since we came into Spain yesterday listening to Spanish radio stations. Mm-hmm. Ah, so, to pick so, up some of the... So we have... Well, you see, I'm, I'm expecting you to have some of the Catalan dialect in this this week to try and catch us out. I'm afraid I have nothing Catalan oh, in it this really? week. Oh, really? So you may have been there uh, barking up the wrong tree by uh, listening to Catalan radio. Okay, well, we'll give it a go anyway. Although, uh, as you drove down, you'd have heard some Basque radio on the way as well. Uh, not from Ger- not if we're s- when we drove down from Germany. No? You come in the southern no, end of the Pyrenees. come in the southern end of the Pyrenees. Uh. So, know your geography. Yes, he does. A lot like Nick. Well, I was looking at the map that you uh, put on uh, social media, actually, Joe, and I'd have turned right at Lyon, where she went straight on. Well, you would have had to come straight across the Pyrenees then rather than skirt the foothills yes. as they meet the it's Mediterranean. It's a much nicer journey, though. I think that's the way we're going to go back, actually, Tim. I think we're you going should. To go back across that through Andorra, and if we can get to Toulouse, that will be a good effort on Sunday night. Uh, OK, so let's uh, have a quick run through news in Spanish tonight, then. Nico Rosberg, muy feliz por ser padre de una bebé. Yes, now, well, this this is very, uh, very obvious here. Um, uh, Nico Rosberg... Yes. Yeah, uh, is celebrating, fillets, felicitations... Yes. Right? Having a drink, a baby, right? Right? Uh, with a nice fillet of fish. His father's in there somewhere, though, isn't he? No, I'm not sure about that. Moving on. Or his local priest... I think priest, yeah. I think priest. Padre. Yes. Nico oh. Rosberg y su esposa Vivian mm-hmm. se han convertido en padres por primera vez tras el nacimiento de su bebé el domingo por la noche. Yes. The, basically, his partner Vivian has been on a cookery course and has prepared a piece of fish that Nico has asked his local priest... If he can dis- describe it as actually... Or bless it. Good enough for Jehovah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when did this happen? Uh, on a Sunday. Domingo por la noche. Yes. Sunday yes. night. Sunday, Sunday night. Yeah. El Alaman uh, compartió la noticia a través de Twitter, aceptando yeah. que él y su mujer estén sobrecogidos y enamorados. Hace una semana, el hijo del campeón del mundo de 1982 tenía planeado dejar donde se disputó el GP de Bélgica. Yeah, basically the priest said it was all right for him to describe the fish, as previously mentioned, but he's got to cut down on his drinking because otherwise he's going to have an enormous problem. And also, can he have the photograph from the 1982 Belgian Grand Prix autographed by Keke. Yes. As he's, as a, as a, as a, thank as, you. A, as a, as a, as a gratuity. What's the word uh, to the, when you give something to the church? Uh, as, you, a as a donation, a donation, donation to the church. There we go. Ty, thank you, MP. Todo estaba empacado, el motor de coq estaba encendido en el garage. Dijo a los reporteros en Bélgica. El asiento de la bebé está en la Mercedes ML. Yeah, 
can't drink too much when you're in the Mercedes because there's not enough cup holders, particularly if you're coming all the way down from Belgium back to home again. And the other thing is that the priest said, I'd rather you didn't keep bringing fish into the church because it's a bit smelly. Next time, could you bring me a motorised chicken? I think if you look at the Catalan version mm -hmm. of that, uh -huh. it's if you are coming, you will be unable to park your Mercedes in the garage because that's where I keep my chickens. So you've got... See, I, you've been listening more than Spanish, I thought you would. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you took a, a whole... Almost a whole week. Of Spanish, didn't you? A whole week. Dish Network. Well, that's Dish Network, so uh, that'll be the end of News in Spanish. <laughs> Excellent. Very Thankfully. well done. <laughs> and let's welcome from the uh, left-hand coast of the United States, uh, the man from Racer Magazine and Racer.com. Uh, it is, of course, Marshall Proud. Hello, MP. How do you like your lead-in? Ah, uh, my favorite segment. I absolutely hit the mute button on. I mean, I <laughs> you add element niche. Keep in mind that I live in a state where Spanish uh, is often uh, the first language and sometimes second language of many. So, mm. uh, yeah, for me at least, it just kind of sounds like a normal day heading down to the burrito joint. Uh, but it's all good. <laughs> um, lots to get through tonight, and we've got we've got you on a full half an hour before the end of the show. Got to pick up and keep in everybody's mind uh, on what happened last weekend at IndyCar. We'll talk about the result of the race in the championship in a moment. What an extraordinary call to arms from IndyCar and also motorsport in general for, for Justin Wilson uh, and for his, for his wife and family, MP. Boy, that... Uh... <laughs> And we crowned a champion, and I mm -hmm. don't mind telling you that as much as I love the championship aspect of uh, what I, we witnessed last weekend in Sonoma, uh, what we saw happen with fans, drivers, teams, you name it, embrace the family, uh, hold them close, reach into their pockets, buy t-shirts, buy stickers, donate this, vow to donate that. That's been amazing. Uh, we need to credit the uh, the excellent human being that is Graham Rahal, who, uh, as you know, uh, after Dan Weldon died, he stepped up immediately to organize an eBay auction, uh, which ended up generating $590,000 for the Weldon family. Great thing there, uh, although Dan did spend a little bit too much on his new teeth, uh, Dan made a lot of money and saved a lot of money. So when he died, uh, his family was actually uh, in a fairly stable position, long-term and stable position. With Justin, that wasn't the case. So uh, we've seen, to me at least, you've seen the reaction from uh, everyone that's interested in uh, his wife, Julia, uh, in their daughters, Jane and Jess, make sure that they're safe and secure for the future. Mm. And so with Graham, what he's doing now again, another eBay auction, uh, I'm helping with that behind the scenes to just organize and, hey, driver here, man, uh, championship there, can you help uh, pull some memorabilia in? Wow, that uh, that isn't something I'm going to get too deep into right now, Heidi, but I can tell you that uh, within the past 24 hours, Formula One drivers have vowed to help and support with personal items and bring oh, in others. Uh, in the WC side, 
uh, just had a WC manufacturer say, "Hey, um, would it be you know? What do you think? Uh, one of our P1 manufacturers say, what about a steering wheel mm. and uh, and and an engine cover, which uh, you simply can't buy those things. Uh, that I, kind of response, Heidi, it's been amazing. Never ceases to amaze me that the motorsport family uh, is." Uh, looks after its its own whether or not it's in the same paddock or not. Um, I must just mention actually a big thank you to Audi who looked after Gustav Busing's brother and uh, nephew brought them to the Nürburgring at the weekend there was a very moving uh, dedication of a copper beech tree on the run up mm. to the paddock at the Nürburgring for Gustav who many of our listeners would have known uh, as one of the German voices for Eurosport on sports car racing was a PR for Sauber Formula 1 for many years an absolute gentleman and uh, sadly became unwell just after the end of Le Mans and uh, and died uh, in in fairly short order uh, after that you may have remembered us talking about it but Audi did just the most amazing things at the weekend as did Gerard uh, Naveau and the rest of the the paddock and when we when we see that sort of thing happen and this and what's happened for Justin and, and his family at the weekend uh, Marshall it always it always makes me feel very humble uh, the timing could not have been worse in terms uh, of having to have a race so close after Justin's tragic death um, but a champion was crowned um, we have been saying for the last few weeks when we've talked about this you never count Dixie out because well he's Dixie and blow me if he doesn't pull it off again um, there will be people who say ah, it's only double points and indeed um, Juan Pablo Montoya was somewhat um, less than generous uh, originally great, at least wasn't he gracious wasn't he <laughs> uh, yes the, the court was somewhat less than gracious about who'd had the best season and who'd had one good race and I, I listen I, in the, the heat of the moment I, I understand why a man who's pretty much led the whole season might be a little aggrieved um, that he doesn't win the championship but that's racing and Dixie has done the Dixie he's just done it again hasn't he yeah I must admit count me among those who has been uh, less than impressed by uh, some folks not all and I don't want to dismiss opposing opinions that's not what I'm saying but I, I've really not been very keen on some of the comments I've seen posted uh, about uh, Dixon's only a champion because of double points and it's a fluke it belonged to Montoya etc I would say this Juan Montoya had one goal one one purpose uh, ahead of him to finish near the front Mm. without without getting in any silly contact finish Mm. close to the front you're the champion. Mm-hmm. He he has been almost perfect all year long through 15 rounds. In the mm-hmm. 16th round, for reasons unbeknownst to anybody, he decided to make a uh, poor decision and effectively ruined his race. So after a year of perfection, getting to the finale and making a desperate lunge uh, early in the race when the driver ahead of him, Will Power, isn't the person he needed to worry mm. about really for the championship. They if didn't it had that. Graham, yeah, that, uh, Will in fourth place in the championship. Had it been Graham in second, you might say, okay, I understand. There was no need. So 
there was one thing he had to do, run up front, which he did by uh, qualifying well, uh, and then threw it away. You then have Dixon, who <laughs> I had the same thing, finish up front, if, but for him first, and be absolutely perfect. Guess which one of the two. One had a relatively easy job. One had an almost impossible task. And the guy who had the impossible task, I'll mention very quickly, mm. was absolutely purpose-built for that day. It's going into my uh, rewind column for tomorrow. Tires were the big concern at Hindy. There was a, a newish compound that was brought out for Sonoma. Whether they were the uh, primary blacks or the alternate reds, they really were degrading massively, just at a un unseen rate before so it meant that over 85 laps drivers are going to be dealing with tires going off very soon and then being an absolute bear to handle throughout the stint well what driver has the best car control in the series and lives on oversteer that's scott dixon which driver made zero mistakes took it to the front thanks to a pit stop that we're still checking to see if that was performed by humans or aliens. Fastest pit stop <laughs> I've ever seen in IndyCar. Took him, sent him to the front, and on a day where he needed to be perfect, needed to be, needed to win, needed to get the points for uh, leading the most laps, uh, needed the point for leading a lap, and then drove away from everyone else in the most challenging conditions, he did all of those things. Yeah, I, I just... We've been talking all season about execution and, and absolutely nailed it. Uh, nailed it. And congrats to Dixie. And, and the, um, Do I feel for JPM? Yes, I do. Sure. Um, but um, I don't think he's done himself very many favours. He has not been a gracious loser, uh, shall, shall we say. Um, in a week particularly where other things were shown to be far more important than the winning and losing of championships. Um, that's, that's all I'll say on that. What, what news coming out of the paddock about next year? I know it's ridiculous to be talking about next year already, but the calendar debate rolls on. That's IndyCar finished now, and you know we're barely into... In fact, it finished before we were into September. So how, how do we think the IndyCar calendar is going to look next year, MP? Everything we've heard follows what Mark Miles, the head of IndyCar, has been saying that we'll be starting sooner than ever before. Don't think that's going to stretch into February. We'll okay. see. There, there's one plan that it could, but I think we'll end up seeing something that starts possibly right around week before Sebring, maybe, wow. uh, which could be interesting. And uh, hearing that we will extend into the middle-ish of September with a return to Sonoma as the season finale. And uh, I know, again, some folks have complained that you can't pass there. Keep in mind that Montoya, after uh, the contact with power, returned. I forget what it was. But uh, back of the pack, some pitch pit stop exchanges left in middle of the pack he then drove his way forward just as we saw last year at yep. last year's race there's plenty of passing passing happens you're never going to beat dixie on a day where uh, tires are going off so there was never going to be a battle for the lead but there was plenty of passing behind him and at least from what i've heard hindy uh, everyone really enjoyed being in the bay area for the season finale so yep. i think so. that's what we'll see there uh, talking to Grib earlier on about GTEs uh, and the genuine, genuine and general upswing for GT competitors at the moment brings us nicely to GT uh, in the States um, and plenty of GT3 talk as well, of course. we Was it last week or the week before that we were talking about the new BMW M6 uh, and, and what a... 
relatively well-priced bargain that looks like and already it would seem BMW Motorsport have got a couple of uh, of cars sold to a to a good BMW customer in the state one Will Turner yeah I mean hey those colors on a twin turbo V8 GTD entry Hindy a GT3 car uh, I'm giddy already but you already know I'm a forced induction idiot so that just kind of makes sense <laughs> but uh, yeah BMW, brilliant mark, passionate fans, will certainly top of the list when it comes to North American entrance in BMW. So I think all that works wonderfully with the Andy Blackmore livery applied. It's even more beautiful. Great to hear that. We spoke recently about Mercedes uh, AMG uh, having a great interest in uh, participating next mm. year. Not as a works, pro- not as a true, we are the cars roll out of the factory type thing, but Something that involves a works assist with at least one entry, uh, maybe two. We know that uh, they'd like to run two at Daytona, uh, maybe one for the full season, and obviously hoping that there would be customers buying more. But uh, I think that could be a really wonderful thing to see happen uh, for GTD. We have uh, Audi with their new 2016 R8 LMS. That just cleared customers. In the country, yeah. Yeah. Just cleared customs, so uh, you may have heard that uh, our friend Brad Kettler, who runs uh, the Audi customer side in USA, had a uh, unfortunate incident uh, with one of his transporters leaving the Miller Motorsports Park no. Pro World Challenge Series. Yeah, the uh, driver don't know exactly what happened, but uh, was transporting uh, two Lamborghinis, uh, a GT3 spec Lamborghinis, and also a bunch of spares. That entire thing uh, landed on its side and was uh, bent both. Both chassis, nobody hurt. Nobody hurt. Um, Everything around the the driver, though, was either a complete write-off or close enough. So uh, he's having to deal with uh, that significant loss uh, and interruption, as well as uh, getting the the new R8 to the shop. But that'll be on track uh, right after Petit Le Mans. Actually, they're staying Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, We know that uh, Porsche was on track last weekend uh, at Sebring with their new 911 GT3R with uh, the great Alex Job running that on their behalf. So things are picking up, Heidi. This is uh, this is pretty cool stuff. Just want to reiterate that Audi of, uh, Customer Service has made absolutely clear they'll continue support for the current R8 through next season. Five cars coming to the States uh, for 2016. It'll be interesting to see how many of those make their way into which of the championship. Multimatic have been out at Sebring with the Ford GT and a bit more footage has popped out through that, doing a bit more tyre testing as as well. They're um, uh, obviously running on Michelins and have had their confidential Michelins for a relatively short time. I think the first test they did was when they were over at Road America. Uh, this Lexus program won't go away either, will it? It won't. It's like a zombie. Mm. Uh, yeah, so there was an update of an update. And uh, the update is all the uh, all those who submitted bids were told uh, they'd have an answer by mid, roughly mid-September on what's happening, who it's going to, etc. So that would be good uh, just for clarity. And also we know that 
timing-wise, the original goal, the uh, original intent of being on track at Daytona for the 24 has uh, been pushed back to the lovely date of TBD. Mm-hmm. So uh, we do, that is, uh, that has been fairly well confirmed in multiple places, but at least someone will know who won the uh, Lexus RCF sweepstakes, uh, hopefully so- before we get to Circuit of the Americas. Definitely happening. Definitely, definitely happening. That car, then, as, as far as we're aware. That's what I've been told. Uh, right. If if it doesn't, I think there'd be a lot of people that are shocked and, frankly, mm. somewhat angry at having waited and bided their time for months and months and months. Um, the fallout uh, from Kpax and World Challenge continues. Um, do we see some of their cars in the GTD category next year? Do we think? believe so. Spoke with uh, K-Pax team owner Jim Huey, who uh, said that they he expects to partake in some, uh, as I think he would. Uh, you know, some of these big marquee events definitely would expect them to uh, bring their McLarens over for that. Whether it is for a full season, that I would not even speculate on. Uh, and when he and I spoke about uh, their interest and intent to at least sample some IMSA events last year, uh, that was prior to their packing up and leaving uh, Miller. So I can't say whether uh, the incident at Miller has sparked a greater desire to do more IMSA races or less. Uh, that's something I hope to speak with him here about very soon. Uh, it's all looking very good, Marshall, and uh, I, I really am excited. We've still got the rest of this IMSA season uh, to go. The IMSA Weather Tech Championship will be at Daytona. Uh, the test for that will be at Daytona International Speedway um, on the 17th and 18th. And in fact, we now have entries open for what is being called internally, I'm told, IWSC. I whisk. Um, don't. Just don't. Um, <laughs> so now we start to uh, to get an idea, or we will get start to get an idea of, of what next season will look. And... and this is much earlier than we've seen it in the past, Marshall, and I, and I don't think this is a bad thing. Not at all. Uh, I mean, information sooner, better, faster. There, there's no. I don't think there's much of an argument to be held there. Uh, I mean, the other thing too is, well, I'll just say that I like the direction we're going here. Uh, if, if anything, at this point in most sports car, North American sports car seasons in the past, uh, and even just international sports car seasons in general tend to hear a lot of complaints because there's a lack of information. Uh, I would, seems to me like that uh, problem or issue has only reduced in the past year or two, and this year it seems like it's better than ever. I had someone ask me this year why IMSA split with Tudor in the middle of the season. And I said, uh, they didn't. Well, they, but they announced a new sponsor. Yeah, it's for next year. The fact that they announced the new sponsor so early was actually a, a source of confusion. So who knows? Maybe uh, we're actually going in the opposite direction where we're saying mm. stuff too soon. <laughs> uh, you can never please all of the people all the time MP it's a pleasure mate uh, thanks uh, for all your hard work in the last few days I know and weeks I know how difficult it's been for you thoughts are with you as well keep up the good work and we'll remind everybody again where they can donate for, for Justin's family uh, Marshall Pruitt uh, is uh, on the show tonight with us again thanks mate bye bye thanks brother Always good to have MP on the show. I, I really think that what we're hearing there is a massive, massive fillip for 
and vindicated for Scott Atherton and the guys at IMSA to bring full house GT3s into GT Daytona next year. I think I've voiced my opinion about GT3 many times on this show, and uh, especially when we've been covering a GT3 race like uh, like we're going to do here, like we've done at the Nürburgring, like we've done at Spa. I, th- I love GT3, and from a business sense, um, GT3 is a great series. You want a GT3 car, you can race it pretty much anywhere in the world. Mm. Graham Goodwin has rejoined us again uh, because things happened very fast. You just fast. can't keep him away, can well, you? Well, also things very ha- happened very fast. And he, he is in Supreme Headquarters uh, in, of the Endurance Directive in the SHAD uh, at the moment. Uh, earlier on today, we were firing backwards and forwards ideas about what we might be talking about on the show tonight. Um, and one of them was uh, a thought, Graham, for, for something in the future, that being... Uh, what's happening with the LMP2 engine regs? And all of a sudden, you found out for us. Yeah, well, I think uh, what I did was, John, went back to have a look at one of the timelines that's been supplied for it to interested parties. Um, it has been incredibly quiet on this front, mm. hasn't it? We, we, you know, the only major step forward we'd heard was that the Emser engines will be allowed in the European Le Mans series, not mm. in WC. Uh, aside from Le Mans 24 hours. But uh, the reality is that if the timeline is adhered to, we will hear about the selected single-engine supplier for LMP2 from 2017 on Monday. What we've not seen or heard anything about is the criteria on which people have been asked to submit their indications of interest or whatever it's called so that it's not a tender um now we saw some of the detail about the chassis manufacturers about what uh, levels of support people had to be able to uh, prove to the fia and the aco they would be able to 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 give uh, there's been nothing nothing at all about the engines this is this is quite remarkable but again talking at the weekend between a few of us around the dinner table and over a very fine schnitzel we we came to the thought that there might only be two or three possibly four uh, engine manufacturers who would even be in with a shout of doing it or be able to put in an interest well i think the, the key is uh, you know there's some bits i've seen there's some bits i could guess at what we saw in the chassis uh, manufacturer tender or uh, document, we call it a tender, what the hell, um, is that they were looking for organisations with a proven track record of building prototypes and building series uh, prototypes in series production, if you sort of mean, in large numbers. You can therefore presume that the same kind of criteria are going to apply, so it's not going to be a start-up. We know a little bit about the parameters within which the engine um, needs to be designed. It'll be around 600 horsepower V8 uh, with either direct or port injection. Uh, that is a change from where we were initially. In fact, there's been a couple of changes uh, down through the very short timeline in which this has been determined. But I think we can reasonably assume that what you're looking at is uh, some form of tuner. By the way, it is not going to be a production-based engine. It will be a race, pure race engine. Um, there'll be some form of engine builder or tuner that Mm. has got a track record here. And for me, the absolutely key criteria that is critical to the success or otherwise of this concept for the ACO 
is that you're choosing a supplier that can give you the best possible guarantee of mm-hmm. performance parity across the production run of those engines. I'm having dig equity, you're having performance parity. There you go, there you go. Mm-hmm. So performance parity, I think, is is the key, because clearly what you I'd don't want is for... <laughs> it's, for, it's for you know Delara A to have something that's got 595 horsepower and Riley uh, Multimatic B to have something that's got 602. You know it's got to be um, you know an absolutely um, engineered to the nth degree solution where every well, you're talking about up the same. You're talking there though about such fine margins because absolutely. if it is 600 horsepower, one percent obviously. Is six horsepower, and if it can vary one percent either way, that would be a variance of twelve horsepower. Uh, yeah, you'd you'd notice that in a P2 uh, car. You most certainly would, which is why I think we're not going to hear any major surprises in terms of the, uh, the the names that have been involved in the process. And you know, we'll wait and see who the name is that comes out of the metaphoric hat. We know mm-hmm. of. Two organisations that have told us that they've actually been part of that process. Uh, John Judd and his team at Rugby were very early out with engine developments declaring their hand. They, of course, uh, you know, with the Judd V8 badged at the moment in the uh, FIWC as the Saad and the Basaba Rand car and in the Crone Racing uh, Ligier in the LMS. Um, and beyond that, we know also that Orica will not be part of it because you mm. can't be both. You can't be uh, a chassis manufacturer and an engine builder, which leaves the other side of the oh, organisation. So, sorry, so you, those guys up at Magnicor who do the engines can yep. still do bits and pieces, but they can't do anything... They can't do an engine. They can't right, do an okay. engine for LMP2. But, but they're doing the engines for P3, so they've got to take right. their own to work. No, and they've got obviously the chassis deal for no. uh, the uh, the Paul Ricard factory. Uh, yes. Beyond that, the other organisation that we know have been involved, um, or certainly have declared that what they wanted to be involved in it, uh, are Gibson Technologies. They yes, of, of um, you know, who've been a firm part of the Nissan uh, V8 LMP2 uh, operation. And uh, I would expect that both Judd and Zytec, plus whoever else we haven't yet heard, mm-hmm. would be certainly uh, very credible contenders in that contest. Graham, thanks for coming back to, to us with that news. So Monday we will hear, stay tuned to dailysportscar.com, racer.com, uh, and I'm sure we'll be talking about this next week on Midweek Motorsport. Still time for a couple of more stories before the end of tonight's show, and stay tuned at the end of tonight's show. We've been talking an awful lot about GTs, so a perfect evening to make it a big Wednesday as Jim Roller caught up with Doug Feehan recently. Uh, one of our long ones. Uh, this is a previously unheard long one. First airing tonight, straight after the show. Doug Feehan, the project, uh, the man at the head of the Corvette Racing Project, talking to Jim Roller about uh, his life and times in sports car racing. It is absolutely brilliant and worth a listen. Following on for Midweek Motorsport tonight. Tim, what have you got to finish up the show with? Uh, we've got some musical chairs in GP2. Okay. Uh, because this weekend we say goodbye to Nathaniel Berton. Bye-bye, Nathaniel. He'll be replaced by Patrick Niederhauser. Hello, Patrick. Uh, we'll also uh, say uh, temporarily goodbye to Sean Galil. 
Bye-bye, Sean. Uh, because uh, he has a clashing race in uh, Formula Renault 3.5. So it's really more of just of au revoir. Yes, okay. we'll definitely see him again. Uh, but stepping into his seat for this weekend is Jan Mardenborough. Yes, this is a real opportunity for, for Jan, I think. Uh, good luck to him on that, completing his rise and rise up through the single-seater ranks. Now, someone else who uh, isn't able to race in both uh, Formula Renault 3.5 this weekend, because it's at Silverstone, and uh, uh, in this case, uh, the Formula 1 at Monza, mm-hmm. is Roberto Mary, uh, mm. who has been... Quite uh, contrary this week. Has been this doing year. Uh, Formula Renault 3.5 at the same time as uh, racing in Formula One. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, who would they get to replace Roberto Mary in, Sil- in uh, Silverstone in Formula Renault 3.5? I have a feeling you're going to tell us. I'd like you to take your mind back <laughs> to uh, about seven years ago. Right. Uh, and the 2008 Spanish Formula 3 Championship. Right. I followed that less than intently, in fairness. Well, we covered uh, one particular story of that championship right last year, and that was the exclusion of a driver for running over a steward's foot at I the ju- way bridge. Oh, I do remember that. That driver is Will Bratt. He hasn't been in a single seat for four years. And this weekend, he's back in the Formula Renault 3.5 series at Silverstone. I hear he's done some indoor karting, though, so he should be all right. No, it's all right. He's got one of those stickers that says, it's fine, I've done this on the PlayStation. <laughs> yes. On he the gets Xbox. a 40-minute free practice session, so what more could he want? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wish him best of luck with that. He's, I wish his neck good luck with that. Yeah, yeah but I'm sure he's been keeping with. himself. Who's first. the team? What team is that? Uh, that's with Pons, I think. Pons, OK. Uh, okay. No, Matt, uh, yeah, Pons. OK. And some uh, rally news. Which Nick isn't around for. You should have saved it for him, but go on. Well, we can hold it on to next week if you want. No, uh, no, let's have it. By the way, I tweeted today, the re- I found by accident when I was looking for something else, the remastered version of Ari Vatanen's Peugeot Climb Dance. It was, uh, it was brought out again uh, just before Sebastian, Sebastian Loeb took Peugeot back to Pikes Peak. What were you um, looking at that you found that? Long story, don't worry. <laughs> it, it, we, we were sitting discussing other things this morning with reasonably decent Wi-Fi for the first time in a while. But anyway, I tweeted that out this morning. Even if you've seen it, watch it again. Watch it on a bigger screen. It's five and a half minutes, and it is worth five and a half minutes of your life. And I've been lucky enough to sit in that car, that very car that he did it in, and talk to Ari about it. That is just and it's all gravel, and it's and it still takes your breath away. It oh. still takes your breath away. Sorry, sorry, Tim. WRC news. So uh, we haven't got next year's WRC calendar fully confirmed yet, but it looks okay. like Wales Rally GB uh, will not be the final round. Oh. Uh, they're thinking of moving it to October so that Rally Australia can end the season in November. The last time they moved... Uh, Wales Rally GB forward it was a complete and utter disaster wasn't it yes but it was still the last round then Ben Taylor who's the uh, managing Mm -hmm. director of Rally GB says I'm not worried when was the last time the championship was decided in the final round anyway did he really say that 
So when it goes back to be the final round, and he said, we're very excited to be the final round, let's hope that the championship goes to it. Can we remind him of that quote? I'm sure we can. There's some sad news to end with, unfortunately. Oh, dear. Um, and as we, particularly if we started with some sad news, but we uh, have to report the death of Edward III Baron Montague on Sunday. Yes, and, and this is uh, this is actually quite serious because a massive advocate for cars and for motor racing. Absolutely, uh, but also a keen party goer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those uh, of you who don't know who we're talking about, Edward John Barrington Douglas Scott Montague, the third Baron Montague of Bewley, uh, is the man who set up Britain's National Motor Museum uh, on a seven thousand acre site in Hampshire. Uh, he. Uh, inherited his father's peerage, uh, aged just two years old. I, th- I think he was the. It was that, at that time, and probably still is, he was the youngest person to be um, at that title, wasn't he? Uh, yes. Uh, was uh, due to go to Eton, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, unfortunately the war broke out and he was sent to Canada instead. As you do. Um, in all seriousness, a, a, a real loss to anyone who, I mean, if you haven't been there, you should go. It's absolutely remarkable and has done many things behind the scenes in his time and set up something quite remarkable for the British automotive and motorsport enthusiast. Uh, just to finish off the programme tonight, uh, a fax will confirm the uh, final I's dotted and T's crossed for uh, Cravontic to take on the Silverstone 24 hours to become the Hancock 24 hours of Silverstone from next year. That news breaking from Graham Goodwin. Keep your eyes on dailysportscar.com and it will be the penultimate round of the National Endurance Series, the FIA National Endurance Series uh, this weekend, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, 4th, 5th and 6th uh, with full coverage from Barcelona. Uh, Where was this, that? That was Barcelona. Which is where the circuit of Catalonia is. It's actually just a little bit north of Barcelona. Yes. That's this weekend in sound and vision on RadioLamont.com and also on uh, the 24-hour series.com. Thanks very much for being with us tonight. Stay tuned for a brand new long one. Doug Feehan, the project manager at Corvette Racing, talks to Jim Roller about his life and times in sports car racing and looks forward to new challenges. Uh, There's no time to explain. Uh, The Llama has got to sing a bit of opera. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.